Well, I just want to focus this morning, really, as we come to the end of either a difficult week or the beginning of another difficult week. We're kind of in that period, aren't we, Sundays? Um, And I want us to have a look at Luke chapter 12 later on. We're only going to look at one verse um, today. Um, And I think that at the moment, um, there's a real sense of sadness in our world. I think we've had a very difficult week and there's a sense of sadness and fear at the moment. Um, I was just picking up some of the headlines today. You know, it said, worst nightmare for the world. Are we heading into World War Three? We are afraid, you know, and those kind of headlines um, and what we're seeing and what we're hearing being broadcast um, on our televisions at the moment creates this kind of atmosphere of fear amongst us, doesn't it? It can be hard. It's, um, we're in shock um, right now. And this morning, I just want to give a message to all who are afraid this morning from Jesus himself. He says, do not be afraid. That's what Jesus says. Do not be afraid. Why? Because God is still in control. Okay, God is still in control. He's ruling from his throne over your life, over each one of our lives and over our world. And we were reminded of that in our prayer meeting on Friday. God is still in control. He's still on the throne over your life and my life right now as we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we can turn our fear into faith. We can turn our worry into worship. We can turn our panic into prayer because the Bible says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that we can't understand humanly, a godly peace will fill our hearts and our minds. And the truth is, the real truth is that there are reasons to be afraid. It's not that we bury our head in the sand. We need to be aware of what is happening. We can't just keep ourselves in a little bubble and we need to be practical. Then there's reasons not to be afraid. And I want to have a look at that this morning. Five points about not being afraid or anxious. And the first point I want to look at this morning is to, it's important that we take a practical response to our fears. Okay, we can get practical about our fears. You know, the world situation at the moment seems quite hopeless and helpless. It seems difficult for us to know what can we do? What can we possibly do here in Guernsey? What can we do about this situation? And I don't know if you were like me. I woke up on Thursday and I heard the news and I felt so helpless. And yet I also felt a sense of it was wrong for me just to carry on with normal life. I needed to do something. I felt like there needed to be some response that I could could give or do. And one of the ways in which um, it's been suggested that we can support in the Ukraine and it practically is to show unity and support to those leading and serving the church in the Ukraine right now. You know, those who are on the ground right now. There was a message from them this week saying that um, they will be the last to leave. They want to remain for their church communities, for those around them. They want to continue to share the love of Jesus. Practical steps and practical responses help us to focus on our giving. We all know, don't we, that when we give, actually, we receive a blessing, don't we? That actually, when we take our focus off our fear and off our worry and we start to do something, 
um, then we get blessed in a way that is a supernatural way. You know, sometimes when we make sacrifices, it might feel like it hurts for a bit. Oh, we're having to do, to do that, you know, like give up our Friday night to go to a prayer meeting because we want to pray. You know, that can be hard, leaving the fire and, you know, your nice meal and cozy on a Friday evening in. I'm going to go and make the sacrifice and come to the prayer meeting. But actually, what a blessing it is to stand with other people and to pray. And you leave actually more peaceful because you've prayed and committed that burden to God. Secondly, as I'm saying, we need to pray. We need to pray. And I am delighted that as I read that statement this morning, the churches are coming together this afternoon to pray, that we are coming together to pray. And this is something really important. And can I encourage you that if you're able to go, that you make that time to go and to meet there this afternoon at the town church at four o'clock. You know, we need as Christians to be calling out to God for a miraculous intervention in the Ukraine. That's what we need to be doing. We need to ask him for protection, standing alongside one another in unity, standing together. Um, And that's why we want to come together this afternoon and to do that. And it reminds me of a story that's found in the book of Numbers. Okay, when the judgment of God um, was coming on the people and Aaron was instructed to go and take um, a coal from the altar and to put it in the censer like an incense um, container and he would hold it up. He would hold it up and intercede on behalf of the people. He was there to intercede, to pray. And that's what we do when we pray for the Ukraine. We're standing in the gap. You know, we're standing in the gap for the people and we're saying, Lord, save, protect, preserve the people of the Ukraine. That's what we're doing. We're standing in the gap. You know, when we watch our televisions and we see um, families leaving the Ukraine en masse, becoming refugees, you know, we're praying for them on their behalf, standing in the gap, interceding for them. We're praying for those families. We're praying for the children. You know, the images that we see of the children in the underground, keeping safe. We're praying for the elderly, for those who are unwell, who are unable to get out of the Ukraine. We're praying for the young men who are sent and left behind to fight for their country. We're praying for them. We're interceding for them when they are unable to do so. We're praying for the governments. We're praying for those who have influence and power and authority. We're praying for wisdom, for godly wisdom at this time, for those who know and love Jesus to be able to speak out, to be able to have a voice in the government decisions. That's what we're praying for. We need to pull together. We need to work together. We need to pray together because there's power in united prayer. There's power when we pray together. Jesus said, if any of you will agree here on earth concerning anything you ask my Father in heaven, it will be done to you, for you. And there's a story in the book of Acts, and it's in chapter 12 and verse 5. And in, in that passage, we read that Peter, he's been arrested and he's in prison and he's facing execution. And what did the church do? What did the church do while he was there in that, in that prison? It says constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. There's a lot in that verse, constant prayer, constant prayer, not a one-time prayer. It's great that we come together and we meet at prayer in prayer meetings, but it's that constant prayer that changes things. When the um, the Ukraine situation is in our minds, you know, whether it's we're doing a dishes, whether we're driving, whether we're walking along, whether we're in town, whether we're buying our shopping in the supermarket and we just pray, God, provide. 
It's that constant prayer, the constant reminders. Ask God to keep it at the forefront of our minds that we pray constantly for this situation. Constant prayer um, was offered to God by the church. There is power in united prayer. You know, that is unity, even when you're on your own walking. When I'm walking along and, I don't know, Denny's is in the supermarket and Len's driving his car and we're all praying. It's united prayer. God's hearing our united prayer together. There is power in prayer. Can prayer change things? Yes, it can. Okay, it can change things. We all could share and turn around to one another and say situations where prayer has changed things in our lives, where we've prayed and, oh, what a coincidence it's happened. Okay, Um, because we've spoken to God and we've brought the situation before God. Um, Thirdly, We need to be ready to share the gospel. We need to be ready to share the good news of Jesus. That's so important. Look, Start looking for opportunities to share your faith. Because I'm telling you right now, people are scared. They're hurting. They're in shock as to what they're seeing. They're frightened. People have questions. And we have answers. You know, we have answers. And I think that we have an unbelievable opportunity as the church to go into the world right now. We would love the world to come to church. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, church, go into the world. And that's what we need to do. We need to go into the world, look for opportunities. I had the wonderful privilege this week of chatting to someone who was so afraid, who had no faith at all and actually was quite... Um, unsure about faith. And I just said, look, can we pray? Can we pray? And she was like, yes, let's just pray. Um, And she was happy for me to pray. You see, those of you have friends, family members who don't believe in God, it's okay, they can still pray. We can tell them you can still pray. You can still pray. Pray for the miracle and give that burden to God. Engage them in a conversation about Jesus. Say that, oh, yes, it's a crisis, but I have that peace. I have peace in my life that God is in control. Just just drop in little lines. Let them know that relationship with Jesus. People are confused. Can I say children are confused too? If you have no children, if you have grandchildren, speak into their lives. Let them see your trust in Jesus because that is so important that children see that actually we have faith in Jesus, that we really trust that God is in control. Number four, we need to keep our lives in perspective. You know, as I said before, the prayer meeting on Friday, we just reminded that God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things that God works together for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God loves you. Can I say that more than anything this morning? Whoever you are sitting here today, God loves you. God loves you. He hears your prayers. And God is bigger than the war in the Ukraine or any problem in your life that you're facing right now. God is bigger than those problems. I want us to hear the words of Jesus to us this morning. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
you know the way to the place that I'm going. The word here that Jesus used for trouble, do not let your hearts be troubled, is actually a pictorial word and it means shudder. Do not let your heart shudder. Does your heart ever shudder when you're afraid, when you're worried, when you're frightened? Well, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it shudder. Jesus says, believe in God and believe also in me. Believe in me. In other words, I've brought you this far not to let you go now. I'm not going to abandon you now in your time of trouble. We're in a storm. That's what we're in. And this storm, as we've said many times before, storms have a beginning, a middle and an end. We're going to come through this storm. And to all of us, I say, Jesus, what Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. So let's have a look for a moment at Luke chapter 12, verse 32. It's a very little easy text. And that's why I've chosen just a verse this morning, just one verse of scripture. This is what it says. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock. Can I say to you that it would be really great if you wrote that down somewhere, you pinned it to your bed head, you put it on your wing, your, don't cover your rear view mirror of your car, but put it somewhere that you can just see it, okay, this week, just to remind yourself, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Simple verse, but so much identified in here about God's character. Three things I want to remind us of this morning. Firstly, he's described for us as a shepherd, Okay, a shepherd. Secondly, as a father, and then as a king. Okay, so first Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid. You're his little flock. Do you know that? That's quite a nice thought this morning. What a tender way. God is a shepherd, and we are his sheep. And I think when David wrote Psalm 23, as a shepherd looking at his sheep, probably thinking, you know, my sheep, they're a bit of a dumb bunch, okay? They're not that clever. They're dependent on me. They're vulnerable. And he probably thought, you know what? I'm so much like that. That is what I am like. I'm like a sheep. And then he, I imagine him with his little guitar or something sitting there, okay, watching his sheep. And then he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful psalm as David looked out upon his sheep to write about him and his relationship with God. God is our shepherd and he's going to take care of his flock. Secondly, God is the father who loves you. It's your father's good pleasure, that verse says. When Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he could have said, um, started it with, oh, great Lord of creation, our great creator. Or he could have said, pray, oh, awesome God, all powerful over all the earth. But he didn't. He said, start with our father, our father, 
who art in heaven. You know, that speaks of relationship. It speaks of our relationship with God. When we become a Christian, God becomes your father. But I want to say this this morning, God isn't everyone's father. God is everyone's creator, but he's the father to those who have called on his name, who've come to know him in relationship with him. Only those who believe in him, for the Bible says, for as many have received him, he gave the power to become sons of God. That's what the Bible tells us. In a few moments, I'm going to tell you how we can ask Jesus to come into our life and you can start calling God your father because that's so important, I believe, today. This is a father that we have constant access to, a father that delights when he hears us pray. He delights when we come into his presence. I want you to think a bit more this morning. Rather than a father, think of God more like a grandfather, Okay, when I look at my dad, my own experience with my dad, you know, and my dad, when we were growing up, you know, he's there to kind of guide us, prepare us, help us, love us, sometimes has to discipline us if we go off route a bit. You know, he's there and he, he protects us and he, he does all of those things, which is a fantastic father. As a granddad now, all of those things are included. But you know what? In mo- many ways, his job is simply to enjoy his grandchildren, to enjoy their presence, to sh- give love to them, sometimes spoil them. You know, that's what his job as a granddad is, just to enjoy their presence and then being with them, with him. And you know, when we approach God, that's how he feels about us. He's delighted that we're there. He delights in our presence. He delights to hear us talk to him. He's our father in heaven. He looks forward to you talking to him. He delights in our presence. God loves to bless you. Do you know that? He loves to pour his blessings upon us. God loves to provide for us. He loves to provide for us. What is it that we need right now most from God? Call on God. Ask God. You know, if you've never prayed before, ask him and see what happens. You know, that's what I challenge you to do today. The Bible says if we call on him, we will be saved. God will provide for you. He's your father who loves you. And finally, he is our king. He's king. You know, it's, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what that verse says. And we, when we talk about God as a king, it's a reminder to us that he's in control. When we look at situations and we think things are out of control, God is in control. He is sovereign over all. He has all the power that you need. If God were small enough for us to understand, okay, he wouldn't be big enough to meet all of our needs. Okay, God is an awesome God. That's why we don't understand everything about him. He's awesome. He's in control. He's all powerful. God is bigger than the situation in the Ukraine. God is bigger than any problem that we're facing right now. And the Bible asks the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? The world is in a storm right now. We're in a storm, but Jesus is on board. You know, it reminds us of the story about Jesus and the disciples when he said, let's go over to the other side. And he gets on the boat in the Sea of Galilee and they get into this boat and the fishermen and uh, the storm comes 
and uh, Jesus is um, below deck. He's fast asleep and these fishermen are really afraid. You know, it must have been a huge storm. These were experienced fishermen. They knew what they were doing. They'd been out in many weathers. They'd been in all conditions before and they were terrified and Jesus is fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. Okay, and they're so afraid that they cry out and they wake Jesus and, you know, he comes up a bit sleepy eyed, you know, and a bit just what are you calling me for? Okay, and he turns to the storm and he says, peace. And suddenly the storm stops. Suddenly the storm is still. So the storm that we face at the moment, we want, need to ask God to intervene and he says, Jesus says to his disciples, this is what he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have faith, have faith. That's what we need. We need a rising of faith. And today, as we remember, don't be afraid. We need to remember that Jesus is on board. He is on board with us. And I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus than be anywhere else without him. I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus. He's on board. He's on your boat right now. He's in control. He's our shepherd. He's your father and he is your king. One final point that I want to bring this morning is that we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. The Bible says, prepare to meet your God. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Okay, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. John 14 says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? You know, only those who are prepared to die are really ready to live. How do we prepare to die? How do we know with assurance and confidence where we are going after this life? We need to decide and make that decision in this life where we will go for eternity. If we want to go to heaven, we need to make arrangements. You know, if I'm going to America, if I'm going on a trip to America, I can't just go up to the airport, walk onto a plane and say, take me to America. That's not how it works. I have to book my ticket. I have to get my passport ready. I have to go through um, you know, airport control, get my boarding pass, and then get on and I reach my destination. God purchased your ticket for heaven 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. He purchased our ticket for heaven right then. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Jesus died on that cross and he's the only way to the Father. Why Jesus? Why is it not simply multiple choice if I do this or do if I do that or if I choose this way or that way? Because there's only one person who was uniquely qualified to bridge the gap between us who are sinful man, who've made mistakes, who've made mess ups, and a holy, awesome God. There was only one man who could do that, and that was Jesus. Jesus, fully God, and yet fully human, dying in our place. He came to pay a debt he did not owe, because we owed a debt that we could not pay. That's what Jesus did on the cross for each one of us. Then he rose from the dead three days later, and listen to this, this morning, he is standing at the door of your life and he is knocking. And he says, if you open that door, I will come in. 
I will come in to your life. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. That's what Jesus says. And in that moment, not only do we receive new life here on earth, a peace, a new beginning, but we receive the gift of eternal life with Jesus too. And right now, we can have Jesus come and live inside of us, forgive us, have the hope of eternity. How do we do that? How do we do that? It's so simple. We talk to God. We just talk to him. We simply pray and he will give us a new life. He will give us peace in the middle of the storm and he will give us the hope of eternity.